0: Amen. Praise God. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that because of You we can press on. Through every valley and over every mountain, we can press on and press forward because of Your presence. Because of Your power, because of Your strength. Father, we pray that You will give us the perseverance and the faith to keep going no matter what lies ahead. We acknowledge our weakness, but we rely on Your strength. Thank You for bringing us each here today. We pray that our hearts will be open to the encouraging and the challenging Word that You have for us today. In the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I love that song. I love the lyrics. I love the message. Press on. Keep going. Persevere. Give it time. Those are lost concepts in today's world, aren't they? The concept of perseverance is dying. The concept of of waiting is dead. The concept of the long haul, it's rejected. We live in an instant society today. The pervasive thinking is that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and immediately. If something can be had at all, It can be had instantly. If anything requires too much time or effort, oh, we're not interested. We've grown accustomed to having everything right now, haven't we? Instant results. Think about it. From instant coffee to microwave meals. If something takes longer than a few minutes, we consider it a a, a shame, a waste, a disgrace. Ours is a society that's littered with fast food restaurants. And not just fast food restaurants, drive through fast food restaurants. Because, of course, it takes too much time to, to park our cars and get out of them. Bank tellers, oh, they've been replaced by 24 hour automatic teller machines so that we can have access to our money immediately, any time of the day or night. Sending a letter through the postal service, a rarity. That's been long replaced by sending faxes. But even those few minutes, just uh, that took too long. So faxes have been replaced by what? Email. Emails, though, are quickly being replaced by text messages and instant messages. The newspaper, oh, that's been replaced by the Internet. We want our news delivered to us when we want it, not when it arrives at our door. Today, we, we can't seem to wait until we can afford something right? We, we just whip out a credit card and there you have it. Instant plastic money that allows us to live way beyond our means and obtain things that we would normally have to wait for. We expect everything right now. Instant results, instant feedback, instant gratification. If anything requires a bit of work or waiting or patience or energy or effort, we move on. We move on to something that can be had immediately our minds have become conditioned by television on demand and emails delivered immediately to our Blackberries by always-on, blazing-fast Internet connections giving us information at our fingertips. This quest for the instant has invaded every part of our lives, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. In, In such a short attention span society, It's not hard to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it's almost impossible to sustain that interest. Millions of people all over the world make decisions for Christ every day, but the attrition rate is staggering. Eugene Peterson, he's the translator of a book called The Message. He says, many claim to have been born again but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, even news about God can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. You see, sadly, Christianity has been captured by the tourist mindset. Think about it. What is a tourist? They're people just casually visiting when it's convenient. A tourist is someone who makes a comfortable visit to a destination in hopes of an experience to to tickle their senses. A tourist visits, but always returns to where they live. They want to experience the high points. They want to see what their vacation destination has to offer. What it can do for them. But, but in the end, they always return unchanged. So sadly, that summarizes a vast majority of self-labeled Christians today. An alarming majority. They're not truly followers of Christ. They're seekers of the, of the next thrill. Seekers of the next big experience. They're not seekers or followers of Christianity. They're they're trying Christianity out. See how it fits. Christianity on trial basis. If it doesn't produce instant results, instant blessings, instant answers, instant fixes, they move on. Not interested. Friend, the Christian life isn't, isn't an experiment. It isn't something you try on to see if it fits. It isn't an intellectual exercise or a knowledge quest for the sake of learning. There are no shortcuts, no abridged versions. There's no quick results. There's no such thing as Christianity light. Look, I'm neither a fan of, of philosophy nor of philosophers. Their lives always seem so, so pointless and, and tragic. But in his tragic life, I think Friedrich Nietzsche, he got one thing right. He said in his work, Beyond Good and Evil, He said, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. Consistent obedience to God. Think about that. That's what defines the Christian walk, doesn't it? That's what defines a godly walk. That's what defines a pilgrim, a Christian pilgrim. One who's in it for the long haul. A journeyer following a particular path to a particular destination. A pilgrim isn't concerned with the time it takes to get to his destination. A pilgrim isn't concerned with the effort spent to get to where he's going. A pilgrim isn't concerned with the dangers along the way. A pilgrim is focused on his destination and he is changed by his journey. A pilgrim is in it for the long haul. Today, I want you to look at your Christianity and ask yourself a very simple question. Would you define yourself as a pilgrim or a tourist? Turn with me to our text this morning. Genesis chapter 12 We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to look at the life of a Christian pilgrim and the necessary characteristics for a successful journey. We're going to look at the life of a man named Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. God had a very special call for Abraham, who here at the time was named Abram. He was 75 years old at the time this chapter was written. Let's read in verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And I want to stop here. I want us to take special note of God's call, his command to Abram in verse 1, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Take a look at what God wanted Abraham to do. It should be noted that Abraham was very comfortable where he was. He was with his family. He was where he had always lived, where he had grown up, where he was familiar. He had acquired a lot of things and and life was good for Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. When he was called to leave that land, he was being asked by God to leave all that he had ever known and to leave where he was comfortable and trust God totally, to walk Into the unknown, to trust God in the dark. It wasn't an easy requirement. It's never easy to leave our comfort zone and walk into the unknown. But this was God's command to Abraham, his requirement of him. God said, Go. And Abraham said, Where, God? And God said, I'll tell you when you get there. Can you imagine what those around him thought? Abraham, where are you going? You're leaving. I don't know, but I'll know when I get there. His friends, his neighbors must have thought he was crazy, but he didn't care. He didn't care what they thought. He didn't care what they said. He didn't care that he didn't know his destination. He knew who was leading him. He knew who was his guide. And that's what struck me as the first characteristic of a true Christian pilgrim. Believe God when you don't know where. If you have enough faith in your guide, it really doesn't matter where you're headed, does it? He'll get you there. But that argument presupposes that you're following your guide in obedience. So ask yourself, who's guiding your life? Who's in charge of the path you're taking? For Abraham, the answer was clear. He placed his faith in his father God, even though he didn't know where his path would take him where his destination would be. He had enough faith to know that God knew best for him. And God was so gracious. He always is. He told Abraham how he was going to bless him. God knows how weak we are. As if pleasing God and obeying God isn't incentive enough. Here he he shows Abraham his promise for blessing. Keep reading. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Two things here. Two things were presented by God to Abram in these three verses. God's instruction and God's promise. Abram, if you do this, I will do that. So often... We want to leave that little word, if, out, don't we? We don't want to think about it as a conditional statement. We, we don't want to focus on the conditions of blessing. We, we want to take the responsibility off of our plates to obey and just focus on God's responsibility to bless us. Yeah, but it doesn't work that way. You can't have the blessing without meeting the requirements, without meeting the conditions. There's there's not a clearer lesson that fills the pages of your Bible than this simple one. Obedience precedes blessing. Every time, all the time. Oh, okay, Lord. I understand your instructions. I get it. I know what your conditions are. and, And I've done them. And your blessings sound incredible, God. So bring them on. Rain them down, Lord. Oh, if we could only marry those two things. God's blessings and our timing. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world? And and ironically, our timing is always right now. We're simple people. We have one timing now. We want everything right now. But it doesn't work that way. You'll notice that while God's instructions were given and God's promised blessings were listed, there's one thing that's conspicuously absent here, isn't there? God's timing. There was no mention of dates, no concept of when, No knowledge given as to how long to wait. God never discloses to us His timeline for His answers, for His blessings, for His work. Why not? Why can't we know? Well, for one thing, that would leave faith totally out of the picture, wouldn't it? If we knew everything, if we knew when God was going to answer, we wouldn't need to have faith. Secondly, That blind faith builds in us some essential qualities, some essential characteristics like like patience and trust that we would not otherwise have had if we knew when God was going to answer at every turn. And thirdly, and and I'm going to tell you something very profound here, part of God's blessings to us includes His timing in delivering them. Let, Let me say that again. Part of God's blessings to us includes His timing in delivering them. What does that mean exactly? Every time God makes us wait. Every time God makes us wait for a blessing. And he delivers that blessing in a timing other than that which we expect. Which we determined was always right now. Something amazing happens. We find something amazing in that waiting. We find that we've not only developed a stronger, deeper relationship with God... But we realize that that blessing really did come at the perfect time. Had it come in our own timing, we we wouldn't have been truly prepared for it. We wouldn't have been as grateful for it. We wouldn't have been as ready for it. And most importantly, God wouldn't have been as glorified as He was in our waiting and what that waiting produced in us. So in a very real sense... That waiting was every bit a part of the blessing as the very thing we were promised. So so we go back now. We go back to God's promise to Abraham in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Lord, those blessings sound great. But, but I need to know exactly when that's going to happen. I need a detailed date outline project plan for your blessings, Lord. Friends, that's not faith. God's call to Abram was a costly one in human terms. Sacrifice was required. Separation was required. Blind faith was required. Patience was required. But Abram's faith, his response tells of a true Christian pilgrim. He exemplifies the second characteristic of a true Christian pilgrim. Believe God when you don't know when. Let's keep reading. This is faith, verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. What an example of an unconditional trust in God. No argument, no pouting, no complaining, no trying to convince God, no making deals with God. Just simple faith. Lord, I don't know how long it's going to take. Lord, I don't know what your timeline looks like. I'll be honest, I wish I did. I wish I did know, but but I don't. But that's okay. That's okay because I trust you. Believe God when you don't know where he's leading you and believe God when you don't know when you're going to get there. We now move to the second stage of Abraham's life. They're now in Canaan. So flip forward a few pages to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read Genesis 15 and verse 5. God reiterates his promise to Abraham. Verse 5 of chapter 15. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God's initial promise came to Abraham when he was 75 years of age. Here, we're about 10 years later now. Abraham's around 85, and I can see his response. Still sounds great, Lord, but in case you haven't noticed, that the years have been flying by. It's been a decade since, since you first told me that. I don't know if you've noticed, Lord, but, but the hair has turned a little gray now. I'm getting up there in age and still no offspring, Lord. We fast forward now a little more. 24 years after God's initial promise. Abraham is now 99 years old. Sarah, his wife, is 90. Sarah still has borne no children. 13 years prior to this, Abraham tried to help God along in his plan. He obtains permission from his wife to have a child with his handmaiden, Hagar. Hagar bears a son. His name is called Ishmael. Hagar and her son end up being banished. Ishmael later becomes the father of the nation of Islam. Which to this day is still a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. Mortal enemies. The whole plan becomes a mess. And Abraham is left regretting the fact that he tried to interfere in God's master plan. Sorry, I tried to help God. Friends, God doesn't need our help. God doesn't abide by our timeline. God doesn't need our suggestions or our solutions. God knows what He's doing, He has a plan. Leave the planning to Him. Leave the obeying to us. Leave the trusting to us. Leave the waiting to us. So now we find 99-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah being visited by the Lord. Turn to Genesis chapter 18. A few pages more. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the entrance of his tent. Verse 9, Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh, but he said, yeah, you did. <laughs> Lord, we're, we're past the childbearing age. We're, we're old, Lord. How exactly... Are we going to have a son? How exactly are you going to come through on your promise here? I love the Lord's answer in verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I love that the Lord gets Abraham and, and Sarah to a point where it's physically impossible to have children. He loves taking us to that place called impossible. And then, then He loves to make it happen just because He can Don't bother with the how is God going to do this question. He created the world in six days. He parted the Red Sea in an instant. Is there anything he can't do? No. And Abraham, he still believed. He exemplified the third characteristic of a true Christian pilgrim. Believe God when you don't know how. How are you going to do it, Lord? Lord, Lord, you promised I will make thee a blessing, And I will make of thee a great nation. But Lord, you told me my offspring will be as many as the stars in the heavens, as many as the stars in the sky. But Lord, I'm 99 years old now. My wife is 90. We have no children. How exactly are you going to do this? Abraham's faith responded with this. You know what? I don't need to know how, Lord. I don't want to know how. All I know is that you promised and I believe it. And that's all I need to know. My faith isn't in what I think can be done and how I think it can be accomplished. My faith isn't in the scientifically proven, the physically possible, the pragmatically demonstrated. My faith isn't in what my mind says can be done. My faith is in You, Lord. And when everything around me says it can't be done, and when I find myself in that lonely place called impossible, that's the circumstance in which You specialize. That's the point at which my eyes and my mind can see no further. And my faith takes over and looks up to you. My faith looks up to the God of the impossible. Luke 1.37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. There is nothing our God cannot do. God can bring life out of death. He can bring pleasure and purpose out of pain. He can bring healing and wholeness out of our sin. He can bring forth children from a 90-year-old womb. The Christian pilgrim doesn't lose faith because he can't figure out how God is going to answer. He comes to the point at which there's nothing left but faith and looks up to God and says, it's just the way you like it, Lord. I'm at the point where no one but you can help me. I'm at the point, Lord, where there are no possible Earthly solutions. There's no man-made recourse to help me, Lord. It's just the way you like it. It's exactly how you like to answer. Genesis chapter 21 now. Verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. I love that. God's promise kept. God's faithful answer. Does He reward our faith? Always. Does He keep His word? Every time. Praise God for His faithfulness. Believe God when you don't know where He's leading you. Believe God when you don't know when you're going to get there. And believe God when you don't know how He's going to answer. We forward a few years later now to Genesis chapter 22. We look at the third stage of Abraham's pilgrimage, his journey. Abraham and Sarah, they now have a son and their son Isaac is a young boy now. He's the apple of his father's eye. In verse 1, chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he said. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. Shocking. What? Lord, did you forget how long we waited for this blessed son? Have you forgotten about your promise to me, Lord? Why does Isaac have to die? Why are you asking of me such a thing? We come to our fourth characteristic of a Christian pilgrim. Believe God when you don't know why. It strikes me as amazing that in his response to God's request, Abraham never asks why. He trusts God implicitly. So keep reading. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and, and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the, the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and, and said to his father Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Stop here. This is the son of for whom Abraham had waited 24 years. I can see him now, Abraham, as, as he lays the wood on the altar and as he binds his son and he lays him there. He must have been thinking in his mind, God, this makes no sense. You promised me this son and, and that the world will be blessed by him and, and now you want him back? Let me tell you what this teaches us. It teaches us that obedience to God is to be done even if it makes no sense. It doesn't make any difference if we don't know or if we do know why God wants us to do something. He does, and that's enough. That's what obedience is, my friend. Obedience doesn't include explicit knowledge of the reason why we're asked to obey. That's the walk of a pilgrim. That's the faith of a pilgrim. That's the obedience of a true Christian pilgrim. Let's keep reading in verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The Lord had no intention of taking Isaac's life. He he didn't want Abraham to sacrifice him. He wanted to test Abraham's faith. Will you make that sacrifice for me, Abraham? And Abraham passed with flying colors. Abraham, will you trust me when you don't understand why? He did indeed. He didn't balk. He didn't hesitate. He didn't argue. He didn't understand why. But he didn't doubt his Lord. He didn't doubt the heart of his maker. Believe God when you don't know where he's taking you. Believe God when you don't know when you're going to get there. Believe God when you don't know how he's going to do it, how he's going to come through. And believe God when you don't know why he's asking it of you. Abraham's road wasn't an easy one. Along the way, he faced much peril, much difficulty, many dangers, much discouragement, many tests of faith along the way. His story is amazing, but he pressed on. And that's the most amazing part. He continued his long obedience in the same direction. And was God true to his word? Did God keep his promise? Absolutely. Abraham and his family prospered. His son Isaac would end up having two sons of his own, Jacob and Esau. Jacob would wind up having 12 sons who would become leaders of the 12 tribes of a nation called Israel. His lineage would lead to the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And his descendants would throughout history, even to this day, become innumerable, or as we might say, as as many as the stars in the sky. God's chosen nation. God's chosen people. It took an obedience for the long haul to realize the dream, though. To receive the blessing. To inherit the gift. I don't have that kind of faith, you say. I'm not the kind of person that can trust in the dark. That can just go on blind faith without knowing all the answers. I'm not the kind of person that can go without knowing within what time frame we're talking about. I've got to know the exact hows and the whys and the whens. Friend, I'll tell you this with with a sober truth. That's not faith. That's not true faith that says, I'm only going to trust as far as I can see. I'll only trust what I can figure out and deduce in my own mind. I'm only going to trust what makes sense to me. You're still living with a tourist mindset. You haven't jumped in. You haven't really dived into the Christian faith. You're sitting at the edge of the pool with your feet in the water, ready to pull them out anytime it gets too cold, too difficult, too scary, too demanding. Christianity requires a permanent commitment, not an experimental trial. You can't pick and choose what parts to obey and what parts to compromise on. It's not about improving your life or healing your heart. It's about giving you a brand new heart. It's not about reformation, friend. It's about redemption. There's some tragically sad news for you today if you're just a tourist of Christianity. The Christian pilgrim, he's making his journey to his homeland, to an eternity in heaven. The tourist can never call it home. The tourist doesn't live there if you haven't dived in, if you haven't truly thrown your heart's door wide open and invited Jesus Christ in, if you haven't genuinely accepted that invitation and made that commitment to Him wholesale, then in eternity, you're going to hear those hauntingly tragic words in Matthew 7.23, Depart from me, I never knew you. There won't be a more tragic story than than yours that day. The tourist who was just visiting Christianity but never moved in. Friend, it's not too late to reverse that course. It's not too late to make that transition from visitor to resident. From tourist to pilgrim. Open your heart to Christ today. Receive Him genuinely accept His free gift of salvation and receive Him in as your Savior. He will forgive your sins. He will erase your past. He will heal your hurts. And He will give you a brand new heart, a fresh start, and a home in heaven with Him for all eternity. And I wish I could tell you that you'll never have another problem again. Your days will be filled with with nothing but laughter and all your roads paved with roses. I can't tell you that. The Christian life is a pilgrimage. It's a journey. There will be lots of of good times and laughter, but, but there will be difficulties. There will be dangers. There will be discouragements along the way. The difference is in every situation, in every circumstance, you won't walk alone. You will hold on to the hand of the One who guides your steps and watches over you. And despite every outer circumstance you face, in the quiet of your soul, you'll have peace. Something you've never really, truly experienced before. You'll be at rest knowing that you don't have to struggle any longer. God is now in control of your life. He steers your ship. He directs your course. And Christ has secured for you a home in heaven for all eternity that no one can take away. That's peace. Are you here today as, as that Christian pilgrim, traveling on? You may be weary, you may be worn and weak, but press on. You may not understand what God is doing, how He's working in your life, or even where He's leading you, but just like Abraham did, just like we read, trust Him. Press on with confidence, knowing that you're in His will And you're in his way, for there's no better place to be. He knows what he's doing. We may not understand it now, but he sees what we can't. He knows far better than we do what's best for us. Trust him with every part of your life and press on. In the hardship of the day, in the still of the night, in the midst of trial and testing and tribulation, press on. He is faithful, and he's always true to his word. Press on. And one day, dear pilgrim, you'll arrive. You'll be home. You'll see the face of the one who died for you. You'll see those outstretched arms. You'll make it home. And you'll hear those blessed, welcome words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this pilgrimage that we as believers are making. We thank You for the example of Abraham that we read about today. Give us a faith like that. Give us a faith like His, Father. Give us a faith that believes and trusts You despite every unknown. When we don't know where You're taking us, we trust You, Father. When we don't know when You're going to answer us, we still trust You when we don't know how You can possibly rescue us, we still believe and we trust You. And when we don't know why You allow things to happen in our lives, we believe, we trust You, dear Lord, because You have never let us down and You never will. Give us the strength and the courage to press on, to press on regardless of of all that is around us and all that's happening to us. And we look forward to that blessed day when we will see you face to face. When we will reach the end of our pilgrim journey and arrive home. Home into your waiting, open, and loving arms. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. It's more than we deserve. We thank you for your presence with us here this afternoon. And we thank you for your love. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.